showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Well, everybody, welcome back to Relationship Psych, the podcast. And today I'm interviewing someone that I found on a hashtag on Instagram. I was looking up quotes and I found one that I really loved and I posted it twice uh, because it's just, I think people really connect to it. They relate to it. I'm going to read it to you. So it says, if you frequently notice yourself feeling resentful, it's likely you have overextended yourself or you've offered things you don't truly feel comfortable offering. And the, where you can find this quote is at Liz listens, but I read this one and it really connected to that place where it's hard to say no, or we give and we give and we give, we self-sacrifice, we overextend. And then we're mad that our partner's not giving us back. And it made me pause like, yes, okay. Our partners play a role. And so many of us aren't really used to asking for what we need or setting boundaries or saying no. And it was in this moment that I promptly hit follow on Liz's account and wanted to know her better. I mean, I followed her for a while and I was like, I need to interview this person because she is amazing. And I know I am not the only one that thinks so. So here is a little bit about Liz. So over the last decade, Elizabeth Earnshaw, licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed marriage and family therapist has become one of today's most trusted relationship teachers. Elizabeth um, is a clinical fellow with the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, and she's the head therapist at Actually, where she is working to make relationship wellness mainstream and accessible. She also owns a Better Life Therapy in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, where she supports clinicians who are helping couples every day. She trains and supervises therapists, therapists as an approved AAMFT supervisor. In addition to making couples therapy more accessible, she is the author of I Want This to Work. And what a great title, by the way. Elizabeth is also the host of Hash It Out on Good Risings, where she offers advice to everyday relationship conundrums. She is frequently asked to talk about relationships with media outlets like Mind Body Green, the Huffington Post, and has been featured on numerous podcasts. So I'm sure we're going to get tons of great information. Thank you so much for being on the show, Elizabeth. I am so excited to be here with you. Well, I think this is going to be great. So obviously you are well-trained, you're supervising, you're part of the community. So Take me back to how come you decided you wanted to get into marriage and family therapy? Because it's a hard kind of therapy to do sometimes. It can be really challenging. And I find it's, you know, couples therapy isn't for everyone. So why is it for you? That's a really good question. And one of my favorite questions to answer. So in terms of how did I get into it? It was a very meandering path. I did not initially think I wanted to be a couples therapist. I went to school for organizational development. I worked on some education stuff for a while and I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. So one day I was driving down the highway and there was a billboard on the side of the highway 
that advertised a couples and family therapy program. And I thought, huh, that sounds kind of interesting. I like little kids. Maybe I'll do family therapy. So I applied to the program. I got in and then I thought I would be a child therapist and work with families, but I worked in schools and I was not, I was not good at working with, with um, families and kids because I noticed that I really liked working with the adults and that surprised me because I really love kids. And I thought I would like working with kids and in working with the adults, I realized how much people don't know how to relate to each other, even though they really, really want to, Mm -hmm. and that so much can change in a relationship and so much unhappiness can be relieved when people learn some fairly basic skills for being able to work alongside each other. And the second thing you said, which a lot of people will ask is why couples, how do you do it? A lot of people will say, isn't it exhausting? I wouldn't be able to listen to people argue and bicker all day. But for me, I find it to be really interesting and dynamic and energetic. And it's also incredibly rewarding to be able to see people suffering And to, in many ways, be able to say, look, just stop, say it this way. And if you say it this way, I think things could change. And those little shifts can make huge changes in the relationship and relationships have such an impact on our lives that not only does it make that couple feel better as a couple, but you see individuals improving too. So it's just incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I I mean, I totally relate to a lot of what you just said. Interestingly, I got into marriage and family therapy thinking I was going to work with families, family systems of addiction and found myself that while I liked working with the family system, I also very much enjoyed just working with the couple dyad. And um, my primary target was teenage addiction and then the family system. And then just kind of went on to be like, actually, I like working with couples. I like making slight changes. So I relate to that, just kind of getting in somewhere else and then doing a transition over and I get the same kind of comments about, isn't it exhausting? And you're like, well, sometimes like, yes. And also I love what you said about those slight shifts. And when you can teach someone just a touch of communication, you learn like, yes, you can talk about a problem uh, easier by just making subtle little, trying it this way. And I don't know about you, but I think the number one thing couples come to therapy, if I say, what's your problem? They say communication. And a lot of them, I mean, communication means so many things to different people, but a lot of them are right. They they have their problem and how they are communicating about the problem is a, is a big, big deal. Do you relate to that? Do you have the kind of number one, two, three things that people say when they're coming to you for therapy? Yeah. Number one is communication. And like you said, it means many different things and that's always, I'm sure for you too, an interesting thing to unravel is what do you mean by communication? Is it that you mean that you're always yelling at each other? Does it mean that you don't feel like, you know, your partner's inner world, like they don't share things with you? Is it that you think you don't know how to express what you need and you want? So there's so many layers of what that could mean, but the number one thing that people say is communication. And like you said, they're right they're recognizing that it's probably not really the issue that they're always arguing about. It's not necessarily the kids. It's not necessarily the sex. It's the fact that they can't talk about the kids and -hmm. they can't talk about the sex. That's actually the problem. Um, So that's number one. And then I would say the number two thing I see people about are issues of betrayal. So Mm -hmm. 
things that have happened in the relationship that are obviously a violation to the contract. So an affair, spending money that you, you know, shouldn't have, you didn't talk to your partner about it, saying hurtful things behind the other partner's back. So those types of things I see frequently as well. What about you? What would you say the top two? I know you said communication. But I think communication and exactly like what you said, I find most of them, whether they label it a betrayal or not, very often it is a betrayal and they then can't communicate about the betrayal and betrayals can be non-sexual affairs. So just an opposite sex or even a same sex friendship that seems to cross over a line and, and gets in the way of it feeling comfortable. They don't know how to talk about that. Um, It could just be like unfairness around the house division of labor can feel like a betrayal. Just how much that hurts withdrawal of sexual interest can feel like you used, we used to be so into each other and now you don't want me. I don't, I don't understand. Am I not attractive? Am I not special to you? And and our sex drive and, and motivations change over time with so many stressors, but they don't know how to talk about these things that hurt so much. And they're not typically what you think of as betrayal, but the way it feels is, is quite similar. So I do think many couples, certainly not all couples come to therapy in states of big distress. And that big distress arises as, as some sort of betrayal is, is what I'm noticing who tends to come. I mean, certainly I have the people that come that are just want to make their relationships better and notice they're not talking very well. And I love those people. And of course they come, but a lot of people come because a betrayal has happened. Um, they might not even know it's a betrayal, but they know they can't talk anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I think that there's these moments in the relationship that are so hurtful and it feels like it violated the initial contract, which is you're supposed to be there for me. You're supposed to care about what I want and what I need. You're supposed to honor our agreements together. And one of those things doesn't happen. I feel disappointed. I feel hurt. I feel let down. And it's the experience of betrayal. And like you said, Sometimes that's a sexual betrayal, but I would say more often than not, it's something else that is a betrayal. And we don't, I don't think use that word enough to describe the other things. So people can't always identify what it is that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And today I wanted to talk about one of those things that people can't always articulate well, what they're experiencing. And it's really hard to put into words. And this is what we call mental load. And I've only had in my professional career, which is 10 years plus now, I've only had one person come in and identify I'm struggling with the mental and emotional load in our relationship. I've never heard anyone else use that terminology. And I I work with people all day. So very first question I have for you, Liz, is what on earth is a mental load? That's a great question. And I hope that uh, because we're talking about this, more people can go to their therapist and say, I had an aha moment. I think what my problem is, is that I have too much mental load. So mental load is kind of what it sounds like, right? It's the burden that we bear that is mostly mental. It is the work that we have that is mental. So it's remembering, delegating, thinking about, considering, deliberating, researching, all of these things that are in your mind, but take a lot of work. And so an example might be um, that as a parent, you are the one who has to remember that the child has to go back for their dental appointment in two weeks. But you also have to remember that in order to get that appointment, you have to call at least two weeks ahead of time. And then you have to be the one who remembers where you research that information and gets the phone number and calls the phone number. So it's a lot of work that goes into a process that on the outside looking in might not seem like a lot of work. And regardless of who carries it, it's always going to exist in a relationship, right? Like we have to make 
the dentist appointment. We have to remember to throw the birthday party. We have to remember to pick the socks up off the floor. There's going to be things that we have to carry mentally. The problem exists when it's unfairly distributed. So one person is taking on all of it in a way that doesn't feel fair. And that's when people tend to then have symptoms in reaction to that, right? They feel overwhelmed. They feel depressed. They feel angry. They feel resentful because they're the only one carrying the burden. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. We're all going to carry some of that, but that unfairness is when I tend to see it in therapy. And you posted something on July 19th. And so if you want to see more mental load, you want like a quick Instagram post that defines it. I'm just going to read it. So she has six signs that you carry the mental load in your relationship. One, you are in charge of maintaining social connections. Two, you notice the emotional needs. Three, you always have to remember. Four, you're the house manager. Five, you do majority of the research. Six, you're the main person in the home that worries. And those aren't numbered, by the way. I just gave them the numbers, but that's the content of it is there. And what you just described, Liz, uh, summarizes a lot of that. And so if you want to refer back to this, just go to Liz Listens on Instagram and check out her July 19th post where she summarizes that. So you can uh, take what she just said. And if you want to, you can talk about it with your partner and you can have those kind of signposts that she just went over. So if you're starting to feel like this is unfair, I do do all these things. I do research all the dentist appointments and I do book them and then I take them or sometimes my partner takes them, but I have to call and I have to book them and I have to remember how do you have any tips or suggestions for how to describe that to your partner so they understand? Yes. So I think first of all, just showing them the information can be incredibly helpful I will share a story from my personal life. These things are very clearly gendered, right? So historically, it is the person who identifies with the feminine who is taking on the mental load and the person who identifies as the masculine, not even really recognizing that it exists, right? And so sometimes, and unfortunately, this is another piece of mental load, the person who takes on the mental load has to be willing to share this information with their partner because it's just not even in their frame of reference. And so I know that by saying that to you, I'm asking you to take on more mental load, which is to do some research so that you can share some information. But in my own personal life, I experienced this after we had our child. It wasn't really a problem before that. And I'm sure people listening can resonate with it. And then when we had our child, I recognized I was the one researching and then making the appointments and planning and then delegating and saying, could you take off on Friday so that you can take him to his appointment? And it was just, it was suffocating me, right? I was really buried underneath all of this work that I had to do. And in order to shift it, I had to be willing to share it with my partner and my husband. So I shared with my husband that I had been researching this mental load stuff and I sent him some articles and I asked him to read it. And I think sometimes giving that space can be really helpful saying, we don't have to talk about it this second, but I really need you to read this and let it sink in. And then let's come back and talk about it. Now Mm -hmm. I'm really lucky because I have a husband who's willing to take my influence, which we know is really important for healthy relationships for partners to take each other's influence. So he read it and he came back and he said, yeah, I can totally see how that's happening in our relationship. I don't even think I was aware of it. And then we had to sit down and talk about 
how are we going to start splitting this stuff differently? Part of moving forward in that direction was trusting him to do the parts that he was agreeing to do and to allowing him to fail. So that's the second part of shifting this. Number one is you have to be willing to share the information. Number two, you have to be willing to let the other person fall on their face with it, which means the kid might not get to the dentist appointment on time. And you might not be able to repair that. You might say, I'm giving you the doctor's appointments. You are 100% responsible for them. I'm going to relieve my mental load around it. And if I get a phone call that you missed the appointment, I'll just forward that phone call over to you so that you can call and you can resolve the situation. That can be really hard for people who are used to holding the mental load. What I'll hear a lot from my clients, and you might as well, is people will say, it's just so much easier if I just do it, though. Or I don't want to let it get messy like that. It just makes it a bigger mess if I let them do it. Yes. And in the long term, what will happen is things will start to regulate over time and your partner will learn how to start noticing what they need to do and actually follow through on it. But if you're always rescuing and fixing and cleaning it up and swooping in, then you are going to continue to carry that burden. Oh, I think that part about like trusting them and letting them fail. And a lot of partners just say like, initially they object, like I don't trust them. I'm like, of course you don't right now have a reason to. And that trust is built slowly over time. And yes, they might fail. And can they still fix it? I remember um, we had an example of that too. A number of years ago, my husband was in charge of taking the dog to the groomer and he forgot and then the dog didn't get groomed. And I just said, great, well, can you book another appointment then please? I mean, I was angry, but I just was like, whatever, I'm not doing it. And then he booked a groomer who was amazing, a different groomer who was the best groomer and a very reasonable price who then we went to for years until we recently moved, but actually his choice turned out to be better than my choice. So, you know, it, it was, um, was I delighted that it didn't follow through in the way I wanted? No, absolutely not. And still it actually, there was a silver lining to it all. Is there always a silver lining? No, there is not, but thank goodness in, in that case there was. And I think the other thing is you made some good tips about how to share this with your partner. So you said like, I'll send it to him and we can talk about it. Um, and I find a lot of couples also will go in hot, like steamy hot, like you didn't do this again and you're so lazy or like they blame and they attack and I don't know, like most people when they're being blamed or attacked, they're not very receptive. They're not like, oh, you're right. I, I should make sure I do this. They're, they're, you know, trying to get rid of you and trying to get away. And so it's, it's really hard to hear that. And what are your tips? Um, what tips do you have for sharing a bit more of that load with their partner? So your partner doesn't feel attacked and overwhelmed or defending themselves or trying to run away from you. Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing I think that's really important to pay attention to is avoiding the four horsemen. The four horsemen are four communication habits that John Gottman recognized in his decades of research with couples to be really detrimental to relationships, right? So what you were just mentioning, Amber, is criticism, defensiveness, contempt, all of those things can start to show up when people try to address the mental load. So it might sound like criticism if you're saying something like, you never remember the kid's doctor's appointments, you know, what's wrong with you? Your partner is likely going to become defensive then. They are going to say, how do you expect me to remember them when I had to do X, Y, and Z? Or what are you talking about? I did remember. I took them last month. 
and you're not going to move forward because you're just going to be in this back and forth. Sometimes people even become contemptuous, which means that you might start saying to your partner, you're pathetic. I don't know why I married you. If you were a real man, you would remember these types of things. I'm tired of feeling like I'm a single mother. So when you move to that place, again, your partner is going to move further away from you rather than closer. You're actually not going to get your need met. So when you talk about the mental load, we want to figure out a way you're actually going to get your need met. And you might be thinking, they should know that I'm mad. They should know that I'm tired of acting like I'm a single mom or whatever it is. And yes, that's true. And what is the need underneath them knowing that you're mad? Is it that you want them to feel bad about themselves or is it that you want the problem to change? And if your motivation is, I just want this to change. I want us to have a better relationship. I don't want to be so exhausted. Then you have to figure out how to say it differently. And the way that I recommend, and I'm sure you do too, Amber, is to bring it up using something called gentle startup, which is by talking about what you've noticed, saying how you feel about that, not how you assume that they feel or what their motivations are, and then very clearly saying what you need. So that might sound like I've noticed I'm always making the doctor's appointments. I feel really exhausted and frustrated. I need you to take on some of this load. I need some help with this. And I saw you kind of smiling. So I'm guessing that you had some thoughts too. Yeah. I mean, I'm teaching that gentle startup all the time to people. And I was also thinking how, you know, it can be easy to do the first time. And it's hard when you feel like you're carrying the load of doing it again. And I was just reminded of an example with my husband and I were recently, I had a number of doctor's appointments. And so I started up with my gentle startup and I'm like, I feel really tired and I want to be taken care of right now. And although I'm going to all the appointments, I really hope you can come with me on Wednesday. And can you take me? And he said, yes. So then on Wednesday morning, I got up, we're getting ready and he's, he's forgotten. Um, and so I go, then I don't say anything. And then I get home and I'm mad because I'm like, I already asked you, I already, I already asked you. And I asked you nice. And like, how dare you? So naturally I come at him. Like, you don't even care about me. I'm, I'm going through all this and you're not taking care of me. And like, you know, criticism, right, right. All over. And I know better. Like I know. And he just said to me like, okay, you're right. Thank goodness. He's um, pretty good with thinking. Wow. He did not get defensive. <laughs> yeah. He's, 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 he's done a lot of work on that because, uh, he, he has. So thank goodness. I have a husband who's willing to do some work. So he said, you're right. And what I wish you would have done is just reminded me again this morning that I agreed to go. And, and I was like, you know, I walked away mad that I would even have to remind him again, which I think a lot of my clients relate to mad that they have to even ask again. They have to remind again, but I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know, he doesn't live in my brain. He doesn't realize how exhausting this is for me. He is typically the kind of person who wouldn't come to these things, not because he doesn't care. He's just not like that. And the truth is knowing him well, um, he does need the reminder. And if I wanted him to go, I could have just said again, okay, sweetheart, can you put on your coat? It's time to go. Or we're leaving in 10 minutes. And yes, that is mental load. But like you kind of talked about earlier, it's that conditioning where over time, if I kept doing it and I had a series of appointments that by reminding him, yes, the first one, maybe the second one, he wouldn't have gotten there, but over time he would have shown up because it would have clued in that this is a thing we now do together. And so it can, I know it can be so hard to do repeatedly. And I know it can be so hard to continue to ask, but 
I mean, I think um, he reminded me that I have a choice to keep going with my gentle starts and asking or to uh, potentially get into a battle. And it doesn't always feel fun to have to ask again. And I know, but yes, I'm totally on board with you. I think that that gentle startup really goes a long way. And you made a good point about saying how like you feel. So I feel frustrated because you left your shoes at the door. Can you please pick them up? Not, I feel frustrated because you just don't even think that I matter. So you leave your shoes at the door because you don't even care enough. And I find a lot of people make that mistake. Like they'll assume something about their partner rather than describing the behavior that they don't want. And they think that's a really common error when people are trying really hard to get this, but they jump away from describing their behavior and they go after the others. Totally. Absolutely. And one thing you said that I think is really important is that you thought about it and you, you said, you know, this is who I know my partner to be. So in this situation, it feels fair that I probably should have reminded him. And I think that that's what was the difference there is that you could step away from that and say, yeah, you know, I know him. He isn't really this type of person. It is probably fair that I give him a heads up because if I do, then he really will want to come with me and support me and do all of those things. And fairness is what research has shown matters when it comes to the mental load. So it's not that you're never going to have to ask your partner to do anything or that you're not going to ever have to be the one that remembers something. And I have noticed that some people have gone to the other end of the spectrum where they're like, I'm not going to carry any mental load. I'm not going to remind them. It's not my job. It's in some, in some cases it is your job though, because you're working with another human being, just like in some cases it's their job to work with you and to remind you of things and to assume the best. And what matters is, does it feel fair? And if you can step away and say, it feels fair that I'm the one that makes the doctor's appointments because my partner is the one who always remembers everything with the yard and that's how we work. Great. It's fair. But if you walk away and you say, it feels really unfair because I'm the only one and you start to feel resentment, that's where you know that there's a problem. And so if you find yourself thinking that isn't fair, I don't think I should have to ask. I don't think I should be the only one doing it. You're going to want to explore what would be fair. And you have to have that willingness though, to go there and not just clamp down and say, well, it's just not fair. And I don't want to even figure that out, but you have to look inside and say, so what would be fair here? What would make me happier with what my partner is doing and what I'm doing with the situation? Yeah. And I think that's a great point about like looking at, okay, they're not doing this thing and they are doing that thing. And sometimes I know even me, when I'm in the heat of the moment about thinking about fairness, I have selective thoughts that only select for the things that are unfair from my point of view. And so it takes me outside of the heat of that moment. I have to sit back and go, okay, hold on. Like, yes, I do do that, that, and that, but what about the things he does? And sometimes I feel like I have to really rack my brain to think about the things he does, but I'm like, oh, actually like he gets gas 99% of the time. And I do it 1% of the time. And it's really easy to forget about the things that I never do because I never do them. So I don't think about them. And right. so I do think it's really important to sit back and, and take a good analysis of what does my partner do? And I think, um, you know, sometimes you sit back and you go, actually they do nothing. And, and then you have to have a conversation, but sometimes if you sit back, you can see, wow, there's all these things that do go unnoticed under the radar. And it's helpful for it to feel more fair, to make sure you intentionally bring your view to notice 
the things you both do to enhance your own feelings of fairness. And sometimes like it is fair and we are tired. Yes. And I was about to say that when my husband and I were having to negotiate this, I was so mad. Right. But when I sat back and I thought, you know, in reality, he works a traditional nine to five, which means he had to leave our house at 7am. He wasn't getting home until 7pm. And I had a more non-traditional schedule where I did have flexibility. So it was fair, right. That I was noticing and doing the appointments and cleaning the socks and all of that, because honestly, there just was no reality where he would have time for it. And I was still crushed by it. And I think when we could start looking at this, it made us realize a lot of things needed to change, which meant that we needed more help with childcare. It meant that I started going to the office instead of working from home. So I could have space from that. It meant he had to start telling his boss that he had to leave early. So we were able to step back and say, this mental load stuff is unfair. It's not right. It's crushing you. And at the same time, it's not unfair because my partner's a jerk. It's unfair because of the reality of our situation. So what can we do to make it so that we both feel like we can survive this right now? Instead yeah. of my partner just brushing it off and saying, well, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't get home until seven. He had a willingness. And I use the word willingness a lot in my book because it's really important. He had a willingness to move out of that and say, okay, in this reality, there's nothing else I can do, but instead of getting defensive, what are the other options? And I had a willingness to say, wow, he does have a really long day, but what am I willing to do here to either give up some of my expectations around our house being perfect or to give up some of the, you know, childcare duties that I had. So you have to be able to be flexible and navigate with each other most of the time in order to change some of these dynamics. Yeah, you, you have so many good points there and the willingness piece. Um, and I'm curious, maybe you've heard this objection. Um, maybe you haven't, but I'm feeling reasonably certain you have. Well, if you say to someone that you're like, well, they should just know. And if I have to tell them what I need, it's not genuine. What would you say to an objection like that? Yeah, I actually talk about that in my book. I talk about some of the ways that we um, destroy our own relationships that need to take responsibility. And one of them is assuming that our partners should just know stuff. And this often I find comes from a place of frustration or fear or being at a point in your relationship where you're shut down and you're like, I'm just tired of telling them they don't care about me. And so the narrative is if they really cared about me, they would know. But the reason you're having that narrative is because you're feeling really uncared about right? Because people who feel loved don't usually have that narrative. People who feel loved are like, yeah, sure. I'll tell my husband like what he needs to do for me. He loves me. So I assume mm -hmm. he'll do it at the core of that is fear. You're afraid that if you talk about it, you're going to be disappointed, shut down, told that it's not important, all of that. And so what I often try to work with is the fear. And also how can you overcome that? Because if you don't share it, you're never going to get real information. You're not going to know whether or not your partner is willing to meet that need. So if you say they should just know, then what's happening is you're giving yourself skewed information, which is an assumption that they don't care. And you're walking around being angry about that. Now, if you say it and then they don't care, at least you have that information. You can decide 
Do I want to be in this relationship? Do I want to have a different conversation? But if you don't share it, you don't get real information. And so actually you're just hurting yourself by not talking about what you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to share. Cause like you said, you're presented with information. Some people say I shared it and they don't care. Okay. Well, now you have that information and you have choices to make. We all have, not we all, many people, uh, some people have partners that aren't willing to change this. And then you have to decide, is that the relationship you want? If yes, then you have to adjust mentally some expectations in your own brain to be in that relationship because choosing a partner comes with a set of problems and maybe that's the problems you want, or you have to say, this is unacceptable to me and I need to make a change, which isn't fun. Uh, sucks to have to think about it that way. But I think, you know, uh, some partners aren't willing. They just aren't. And that's not all partners. And we can be fearful that they're not willing, but many are if you share it and they might not be willing in that moment also, but given wow. enough time to digest and process it, they may come around. You just kind of never, never quite know. Yeah. I like that. You said that my husband's initial reaction to everything is to not be willing. Like yeah. the initial reaction is like, no, we're not moving to a new house. No, I'm not doing that. I don't like that idea. And then 24 hours later, he's like sending me the Zillow links for the new house. <laughs> so, and I think that's another important point about relationships and also the mental load. None of this changes overnight. So when we're saying willingness, I don't want that to get mixed up with overnight change. Your partner having a willingness to take your influence doesn't mean that you're going to bring this up and tomorrow they are going to be away at the races and be really great at this. But what it means is that there's some openness to the dialogue, to having empathy for your experience, to looking at all of this. And that over time, change often can happen. You want to look for if they're absolutely being, you know, disinterested, shutting down the conversation, not taking your influence, telling you it's ridiculous, scoffing at it. Like those are some signs of like not being willing. Um, but most partners will in some capacity have a willingness to look at this if there's a healthy relationship at the core. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, right now, you know, we're two ladies talking here. So we're kind of talking about our partners being husbands, but I also want to say like, it goes both ways. You know, very recently, my husband pointed out, I make this Mac and cheese in the microwave and it gets like this weird, like filmy thing on the microwave uh, thing. And since we're both home all the time, working from home for over a year, you know, you're around each other all the time. And some of the habits you weren't necessarily aware of before, just like I never made lunch at home before. And he pointed out, he's like, you know, when you make your mac and cheese thing. It's got this weird film in the microwave and it gets on my coffee cup. Could you please clean the microwave after you do this? And he asked me nicely. And my initial reaction was like, I can't even believe that you asked me to clean the microwave. Like I was very offended for whatever reason. Um, and I was not willing in that moment. I think I just, you know, was feeling like, don't talk to me about anything I'm doing wrong in that moment. For whatever reason, I was just not, not having it. And, um, and I wasn't willing in that moment. So it took me again, stepping away to be like, wow, he had a great point. He even asked me very nicely. I was just in a foul mood and he didn't get a great reaction from me. So I did have to come back and say, yes, absolutely. I can clean my, the microwave after I use it. And also, sorry about my reaction. It wasn't great. You were lovely. I was just doing my own thing. And so it's, it's not just 
men that no. need to uh, work on how they react and be willing. It is also us, us women. And I think like, even I, I would say I'm a fairly willing woman most of the time, but uh, you know, not always. And I have to do a course <laughs> correction sometimes and, and think about it. <laughs> I was holding back my giggle while you were telling the story. Cause it's so relatable <laughs> to be like, I, I don't leave that in the microwave. What are you talking about? Or yeah. you can just wipe it yourself. Why are you telling me about this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then exactly. I think that brings up another really important point that we talk about with our couples a lot is, are you able to assume similarity sometimes? And so you just brought up a great example while we're talking about with our own lived experiences with our husbands. Um, sometimes we can humanize that by assuming similarity with our partner. So I might say it's really hard when I bring things up with my husband and he immediately shuts it down, but we can have a happier relationship. If I'm also able to say there's times I do that too, because mm -hmm. then it doesn't make my partner the other, right? He's not just the one who does that. We both do that. And you can even gain some empathy then because it's, you know, even in that microwave, it, explanation, what was going on for you in that moment, right? You can think, and maybe you're saying, well, I was really busy or I was feeling stressed out, or I felt like I had done so much that day and it was annoying to be called out for the one thing I didn't do. And so when you assume that similarity, you can assume that maybe your partner feels the same sometimes. Yeah. Maybe they feel frustrated that you didn't notice all the good. And that's why they got defensive. Maybe they had a really bad day and that's why they got defensive. So looking at the ways in which you do the same is incredibly important. Absolutely. And I, I love that idea of thinking, okay, that assumption of similarity, remembering that we both at times can behave in ways that aren't always ideal. And I think if you kind of feel in your head, you're like, no, I never do that. Okay. Well, pause. And then take some time because I know sometimes I can be defensive to things like that. Like, no, I'm a therapist. I do this for a living. Like, but like the reality is I do things wrong all the time. And if I pause, I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm such a human too. And part of the human condition is like, oops. Yeah. I, I made a mistake or yeah, I know how to use that skill and I didn't. So let me give it a redo. Oops. But anyway, we're talking about this and I feel like we go on forever, but I do want to know a little bit about your book. So tell us, I mean, the first question I have is the title. I want this to work, which I read that. And I was like, Ooh, like very good title. I want not like you have to make this or tools. I want this to work. And that struck me. So tell me if you even put this much thought in, into it, how come you chose the title? I want this to work. So much thought goes into the title of a book. You would never believe. <laughs> so we threw around so many titles and none of them were landing. And then I noticed that in almost all of my couples sessions, that phrase was coming up again and again, and mm. you're going to start to notice it too. Like once I noticed it, I couldn't stop noticing it. So whether I was working with individuals or couples, they would say things like, we really just want this to work, but we don't know what to do. Or I've wanted this to work for so long, but now I think that we need to get a divorce or I don't know why I keep putting this up with this. I just want it to work. And so that was coming up again and again and again. And I'm like, yes, that's what we need to call this book because that's what people frequently say about their relationships when they're unhappy about them. And you have to peel apart. You might want this to work, but can it work? And so the book helps to lay out 
what are the things that you can do individually and as a couple to increase the health of the relationship to see if it can actually work. And that is the premise that kind of ties into that title. Yeah. As you said, you're going to notice this too. My brain just went through like a thematic analysis of all of the clients I've ever seen. And, and you're right. All of a sudden I was like, Ooh, they said it. They said it. I heard that yesterday. Yes. Uh, they do say I, I want it to work all the time. I didn't realize that until this moment. And it just poofed in my brain and like little thought bubbles on the screen. You'll so see yes. it in TV shows. You'll hear it in songs now. Like I cannot unsee it now. I'm like, Oh my gosh, people say this all the time. They do. And they say it sometimes I'll say, well, you know, things are in really bad shape. They've been bad for a long time. What has you staying? I'll say, I want it to work. Or I see the potential as well. Um, yes. Which is a whole other topic potential, but, uh, here we are. So the thing that actually struck me about that is a lot of people object that their partner isn't necessarily willing and some partners aren't. And I often talk about like one of the key factors for change is also intrinsic motivation, being motivated on your own without being forced to make some changes. Um, what, what do you think about that? People being willing on their own without being forced to make some changes. I think it's incredibly important. I think it's the only way that change often sticks, right? And when we hear people say things like, I want this to work, generally what's happening is they're they're really wanting to get their partner to become who they want them to become, right? So the focus is often very outward. It's like, I really want this to work and I'm just waiting for the day when they finally stop having affairs. I really want this to work. So I'm sitting and I'm waiting for when they're finally going to be emotionally available to me. I find that that's usually the focus. I want this to work. That's why I'm miserable right now. I'm sitting and I'm waiting for them to change. And the reality is, is that if you want something to work, you have to really be the one willing to start making the change yourself intrinsically. And then you have to look to see if your partner is willing to go on that ride with you. Yeah. So I know your book, uh, from what I've read about it is like, there's some exercises and chapters, uh, for, for couples to do together as they read. And if they are willing to do the work, they're both feeling motivated. Is there anything in there particularly about mental load that, that could help them out? Cause that's, what we've been talking about this conversation. Yes. There's a whole section on mental load and there are some journaling prompts and some communication, like talking exercises they can do together to uncover what's going on with the mental load and to have a conversation about it. Ooh, that's neat. So what do you think if someone's like, okay, I'm interested what are some of the key themes in this book that they can look forward to reading? Yeah. So there is a theme of trying to uncover what has happened in your relationship. So like you were saying earlier, are there these betrayals? Are there moments of misconnection? Have you just not been putting in the time and effort into the relationship? So assessing what's going on with the relationship. And then the second theme is that you're going to be looking at yourself and identifying what you bring into the relationship. So we talk about attachment styles. We talk about the imago. So what's your template for romantic love? We talk about relationship, and then we move on to healing and connection. And so the healing sections are about how to have conversations that are really important so that you can start to move on and let go of resentment. And then connection is all about how do you create 
rituals? How do you make sure you're intentional about the goals you're setting and creating a lot of meaning in your life? And the way I like to think about the book is it's almost taking you through the phases of couples therapy. So you're assessing yourselves, you're identifying what you're personally responsible for. And then at the end, you're figuring out how do we move on from this using all those skills that we learned to create something that's meaningful and that feels good. Wow. I mean, that sounds awesome. I look forward to reading it. What is, what is the release date again? Do you know that off the top of your head? I do. It's November 30th. So it is on pre-order now, but on November 30th, it will be in everybody's mailboxes. Okay. So we're going to release this after November 30th. So that means it's out. It's and, out. <laughs> uh, and that means it's out. And this, the book is going to be linked to the show notes. So if you're interested, just go click on it and you will see where you can find, find this book which is like super cool. Hey, maybe Liz, we should do a giveaway. I'm just on the fly here. <laughs> that how would about be this? fun. Let's do how it. This? So I'll post a tile of Liz and I, and on that, if you tag a friend, you know, 20, we'll say 48 hours after this episode is released. I've got to write this down because I'm winging it off the seat of my pants. <laughs> I love uh, this. this 48 hours after the episode is released, um, I'll put a tile up. The episode will be released. You got to tag a friend could be a spouse, could be a friend, whomever. And I'll go through and I will give three books away to listeners um, who tag a friend with this post. Woo-hoo. So we'll give out three books. So three books, tag a friend, go find the I'll post. I'll match so- it. I'll give, Ooh. I'll give three. So we'll give out six. We're giving out, we're giving out six. Do you want it to all be on my Instagram or do you want it three to be on I'll- yours, three to be on mine with the tile? What do you want to do? You it, tagging your Instagram, tag your Instagram okay. and we'll give six books. Okay. So on my Instagram, so at Ember, E-M-B-E-R, relationship psychology, uh, on Instagram, there's going to be a tile of Liz and I, you have 48 hours after this is released, after that tile goes up to tag someone. If you tag someone, you could win one of six of these, of these books. So you got to tag someone and then I will contact you via your DM. So you got to check your DMS. All right. Well, this is exciting. We're going to give some books away. I can't even wait to read it myself. Um, (laughs) So Liz, if you had one piece of couples advice, what is the one thing you want couples to be thinking about today? Oh my gosh. People are going to be so tired of this word. I really think willingness people have to think about that word because when I work with couples, the biggest thorn in my side is being stubborn. And when couples hear information that can be helpful to them, the thing that makes them struggle the most is they put their feet in the sand. They put their heels in the sand and they say, I'm not going to do that until my partner does X, Y, and Z, or it's not me. Who's the problem. And if you cannot move out of being stubborn and you can't move towards being willing to take responsibility for your piece, which might be in most ways, moving towards your partner, Sometimes, sadly, that responsibility actually means saying this isn't working for me and I'm going to move on. You're going to be unhappy. And so my biggest piece of advice is to be willing to see what's not working and then to be willing to try something different, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you think it shouldn't be this way or you shouldn't have to do it, because that is the path forward. When couples wait for the other person to change, nothing changes. Yes everything you just said, that willingness, I can't even summarize it well. Like, yes, just listen to that snippet again. (laughs) 
All right. Well, Liz, you were amazing, insightful, uh, thoughtful about your comments on couples, uh, mental load, describing that. I mean, even just the, the tidbits you share on a daily basis are so informative and just give little brief blips to just think about to improve your relationship. And I know you just provide so much value for free to people all over the world, just be applying in these little micro actions over time. So I can't thank you enough for all of the work you do for being on today, for sharing some of your personal stories and your professional experience. You're just a wealth of knowledge. So if people are thinking that you are this wealth of knowledge and they want more of you in their life, where can they follow you, find you, continue to learn from you? You can find me on Instagram at Liz listens. You can find my practice at a better And my book, I want this to work is everywhere that books are sold. So anywhere you want to buy a book, it will be there. Amazing. So I will link all of her places to find her in the show notes. So you can find her there. And just thanks again, Liz, for being on. Thank you so much. This is great, Amber. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couples therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.